Um, one thing about online is they are going to warp things and they're going to they're going to make a mountain out of a molehill. Like anyone who is uh, an asshole to you or anyone who you don't like or anyone you feel like you've been slighted by, like people are quick to throw that label, which is just in nine, nine times out of 10, it's just not applicable. That people are obsessed with this, um, with pathologizing people and basically diagnosing people almost all of the time, like un unwarranted and like just unnecessarily. That might've been the death of TikTok. I hope so. Because <laughs> it's damn apt, All right. <laughs> In our first interview, we are happy to be in conversation with Shaheen McLaurin. Known on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, Shaheen has consistently used their platform in order to have genuine conversations about generational trauma, healing, and the importance of taking care of one's mental health. In our conversation, we had an amazing time dispelling the common misconceptions about mental illness, along with discussions of generational trauma, the relationship between social media and mental health, and finally, how our mental health can be influenced due to our individual identities. To listen to the full podcast, you can find the Venus Undefined podcast on Anchor, Apple Podcast, and Spotify. Uh, so my name is Shaheem, Shaheem McLaurin. Uh, I am a licensed social worker and therapist um, who works primarily with uh, youth. Right now I work with foster youth, youth and families. Um, I majored, um, I have two bachelors, one in women and gender studies and one in political science. Um, and my master's is in social work. Um, I majored in political science and women and gender studies because I uh, have been organizing since I was like in high school. Um, community work has always been something that's been, you know, important to what I want to do, like the impact I want to leave on the world. Um, and social work was just pretty much the natural vehicle for me to uh, go, go with, uh, to put those things into practice. Um, the things I learned in undergrad, uh, I went, when I was organizing, I met this social worker who uh, got together a bunch of community members to go protest for DACA rights um, in DC. Like she put them all on the bus, she was a uh, community uh, social worker and that was just like all the inspiration I needed to go and pursue getting my master's in social work um, and since then I've been working as a therapist um, I've worked uh, at bail funds I've worked um, at um, just helping people who are incarcerated formerly incarcerated families in the foster care system um, and things like that. For five essential things that we needed to know about you, um, what would they be? I'm a Taurus. <laughs> that's, that's first. My mom's a Taurus. Oh, good. Oh, so your love. Yes. Love down. Um, but um, hmm. I community is everything to me. Um, you know, even if you know it's not perfect because like part of that being in community is navigating through conflict and stuff. I think having community, community around you 
community in your personal life online or offline like all of it is just so essential to being a healthy and fully functioning person um i operate that's two taurus that <laughs> three is i operate um using therapy i operate under the reality that we exist in a capitalistic patriarchal cis sexist racist society and i think like utilizing that and understanding that uh thanks shouts out to my women in gender studies degree but understanding that like really uh lays the foundation for helping people to cope and navigate like with their mental health in this current political climate we exist in that's three um four i don't know <laughs> there's a lot of things to know about that i don't know is there more okay so i'm going to give you a list of words that are commonly used on social media and the internet that have some form of connection to mental health etc and i want to get your initial reaction to the usage or like set the record straight on it and stuff so the first one would be narcissist hear this constantly everybody you don't like is a narcissist what do you think about that immediate eye roll um i think that there are a lot of people who overuse terms like that um because one diagnosing someone mm. in and of itself like when you even think of, of the way that the mental health field is structured and how people often lack access to mental health care because they lack a diagnosis to get online and diagnose people like it really falls in line with the, the way that whiteness as a construct, the hegemonic society, like the power holders in society lock people out of mental health treatment. And what I mean by that basically is like, when you think of how in order for you to build through insurance for therapy even, you need to have a diagnosis. Like people are obsessed with this, um, with pathologizing people and basically diagnosing people almost all of the time like un unwarranted and like just unnecessarily something i find interesting is similar in the way that you know cis when women were having this conversation of oh my god my man who's a misogynist is dl and he's gay in the closet and everybody was just like that's not how the fuck that works. But now they're just like, oh my God, he was a narcissist, which, you know, majority of them are actually gay in the closet. It's just like, can we step back for a second and realize what you're saying is a majority of gay men are narcissistic. And because you view narcissists as bad people, therefore bad people. Yeah. Um, and that's, you bring up a really great point in the believing that narcissists are bad people mind you there are a lot of tendencies that make functioning in community and with other people like pretty difficult yeah um but to villainize mental mental health disorders uh, like personality disorders i think it it really has gone off the rails like the second that people got a hold of uh narcissistic narcissistic personality disorder they really ran with it um, there are entire communities online dedicated to specifically talking about narcissism. Um, in a bad way? Hmm? In a bad way? In a bad way. Um, whole oh. communities, which, and I mean, I do understand, like, because once you experience, because I've experienced, like, uh, 
like being in the grasp of someone who was a narcissist like and I've worked with diagnosed narcissists um it's I can understand like the trauma that can become as a result but I think like some people really do take it and they some people have ran with it now anyone who is uh an asshole to you or anyone who you don't like or anyone you feel like you've been slighted by like people are quick to throw that label which is just in nine nine times out of ten it's just not applicable there's like a whole diagnostic criteria that a lot of people just don't even care about because they just throw that label out so number two is victim mentality hear that (laughs) a lot never really know what that means well i will say there is a lot of victim stance (laughs) online um i like to use the term identity shielding where like a lot of people um shield themselves behind like marginalized identities oftentimes valid identities where you have been victimized but they shield themselves behind those identities in order to protect themselves from having to be accountable for the impact they have on other people um if that makes sense however i feel like that one is really a double-edged sword because there is a lot of victim stance happening online and then there is a lot of people just gaslighting like but you know that's that's always been a thing. Um, Speaking of gaslighting, the other another word is gaslighting. Mm. Hear that a lot. I recorded a video uh, not too long ago talking about or defining what gaslighting is. I feel like a lot of people also like like kind of bastardized gaslighting. Gaslighting is someone. It's a manipulation tactic used specifically to make someone question their reality. Um, I've seen gaslighting being used to discuss like a lot of different things like, oh, you're you're saying that I'm like full of shit. You're gaslighting me. No, like sometimes you are full of shit. Like it's just, it's a thing. But um, like, I do think like these words, like gaslighting, for example, someone making you question your reality like purposely to get you to question your reality so they can manipulate you into doing what they want or not having to be accountable themselves, that is gaslighting. I do feel like these words have very specific meanings and these words are used, the language is so important because it helps people to describe these behaviors that they've experienced and to avoid situations that are abusive. The problem, The problem persists when people take these words that have very specific meanings designed to help people avoid and evade abuse to like people take it and they water it down so much that they turn it into a weapon uh, to just harm anyone who they don't like. Um, And I think that's where uh, the problem really picks up online. And I just I really want people to like learn the specific meaning of these words because it, they have meanings because I know our sexual assault isn't on that list. It should be because I know you've witnessed how people have taken. Oh Lord, that <laughs> just just Google free is just one one little click away. The way it just <laughs> just Lord. <laughs> yeah. So only two more. We have self care and sensitivity. So whichever one you want to go with first. So self-care, I think like people, like everything in a capitalistic society 
It has been packaged and sold. It has to be something you have to buy. It has to be something that you have to like consume. Like that is what self-care has been uh, transformed into being. Um, I don't think people talk enough about like the other sides of self-care because mind you, I'm not going to knock those because sometimes you do need to treat yourself because uh, I'm, again, number one, I'm a tourist. So <laughs> I believe in treating yourself. However, it's really important um, to understand like self-care can be going to therapy, which that's a whole separate thing. Like, cause in this climate, you do have to consume that, but like going to therapy, self-care is going to be like doing your dishes. Self-care is going to be like doing your lawn, taking care of yourself in ways that don't necessarily feel fun or pleasurable. Like those things are also um, self-care. I think like Unfortunately, self-care has been transformed into this uh, kind of, it's just solely like for consumption, like, and that, that can be an issue. Um, yeah. Okay. And then on sensitivity, I know you had a viral tweet about this. That's that, many times. Listen, I really believe like, um, I'm gonna give you a perfect example. And I hate that I'm even bringing this, <laughs> this up, but like, uh the other day when a certain blogger died um <laughs> uh like we were like a lot of there was a lot of online discourse and uh, I said something and this man was like you are speaking from a place of emotion like uh you're not even making sense and I was like what's wrong with we also say emotions what do you mean exactly like one yeah what's wrong with being emotional i feel like we are and you know what eric eric brought up uh, yesterday on twitter uh the, about how like people perform this like detachment like you in this society it is in a hyper individual individualistic society you are expected to cut yourself off from your emotional experience. That is actually part of what keeps like workers working and like disconnected and detached from the community around them, which prevents people from organizing. I mean, it goes way deeper, but like mm. that like cultural, um, cultural expectation for a lot of people to sever themselves from their emotions. That's also a part of patriarchal society. All of it is connected, mind you. But like all of that, like- To dehumanize. That, to do, to do, to do. To, uh, <laughs> to dehumanize you sorry i'm getting passionate like i really i really think that all of that is like a part of the grand scheme of things to like basically cheat us out of uh really doing the right work for community being sensitive to other people being in tune with ourselves and i think like it's a really good thing that so many people are stepping away from that and like i said in the tweet i've been told by so many like people, institutions, jobs, like that I was being sensitive when I would note this does not feel right. And this is not like something that is conducive to a healthy emotional experience for me. Turn, turns out like I was not being sensitive. I was just being aware of things that were done wrong. And sensitivity, I always say is a strength because it really can help lead you to, you know, revolution for real. Okay, so now on to the meat of the interview, which is where just a list of kind of general topics and wherever you want to go with conversation. So you kind of talked about um, 
in the beginning where you were talking about in your woman gender um, gender study class, um, learning about how the world, patriarchy, capitalism, racism, all those things impact people's mental health. So what do you know about the impact of oppression of various marginalized people onto mental health? And, and is that any way tied to generational trauma? Because people have been talking about that a lot with um, certain movies that are introducing the topic of generational trauma to kids, like Encanto, which was so great, um, or like Turning Red. So yeah. Um, so definitely generational trauma is a real thing. Um, I cannot think of the name of the experiment off the top of my head, but there's this experiment where these monkeys are in a cage and they, in order to get to the banana, they have to climb up a ladder. When they climb up the ladder, uh, a monkey gets shocked. So they'll beat the, beat the brakes off of a monkey or whatever, like, and they keep switching out the monkeys and they take away the shocking uh, before the monkey can even get on the ladder. And by the time all of the monkeys are new and there's no zapping, they're just beating the shit out of the monkey who tries to go to the ladder without any like real, like, you know, evidence that something will happen if the monkey gets on the ladder. Really, I, when I find the experiment, I'll send it to you. But the point being like, generational trauma can have people like terrified of things that are just not even real anymore like we will be fighting ghosts that just don't exist um what's an example in black the black community like black people uh being hesitant to swim like that is something ingrained no for real it's a stereotype. no it's a stereotype. like it's a yeah it's i can't swim yeah, it's ingrained in our DNA for a reason. It's because like the dangers that have come when Black people were like the way colonization like really impacted our relationship with the water or even like the way Black people are afraid of dogs. Um, that's not or, that's not by mistake. Or like, I remember because I grew up around so many older Black people, I never really went to the doctor at the same rate that my non-Black peers went. Like those yearly, every month checkups, never did them if I was overtly sick to the point where, you know, Tylenol, tea, and all those things weren't working, then yeah, I would go. But that's like after three days of pain, mm -hmm. then you're gonna go. And then while yes, the person I was living with is a nurse and stuff like that. So obviously that may play a part in it. I think it's like when you understand like when people talk about the fact that it's like yeah going to the doctor would could be unsafe people could end up dying be forcibly sterilized so it creates this distrust and now yes medical racism still exists but it's not you're probably not going to die if you go to the doctor you might <laughs> but yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah, no, exactly that. And, you know, it doesn't like apply across the board in case like any, cause you know, people like that, but specifically what about me? But like, no, like it doesn't apply across the board but it really is a true statement that there are a lot of things and sometimes it varies family to family like that are deeply ingrained into like the practices that families have and more. But like the reality is like, uh, I really, I really think generational trauma plays a huge role in the way that uh, we have 
even issues as community, um, really. If you look at like the way that uh, certain issues that we face in the Black community are set up, like we, we, we got a lot to work on that is still like a, a result from all of the trauma that like black, the Black community, oh, hey baby, like the Black community has faced over like centuries yeah here in the united states specifically like Um, i feel like when my mom was telling me how she grew up and um what she described as like the typical way for haitian people to grow up where it is you break your child down specifically using those words to the point that they get to the like you just degrade them to the point that they never think that they're good enough. And then the idea is that one day they're going to, in an act of rebellion against you and an act of being upset at you, strive and do so amazing because they want to, you know, disagree and prove you wrong. So in order to have successful children, degrade them so that they get so upset, they'll want to work really hard to prove you wrong okay um that now who that might be cross-cultural right there because that's not too far off from what happens in the african-american community too but you know it's like a lot of things we got to work through um but breaking through that generational trauma i always tell uh people like uh my roommate <laughs> I always tell people um give give that back like give that anger back give the give that back give all of the things that were placed on you by your caregivers like give it back to them that is going to be the first round the first step into hold on real quick sorry um, that's going to be the first step into getting uh getting into that point of trying to heal through that generational trauma. It comes with a lot of unlearning and learning, stepping away from things that you thought was the whole world. Because sometimes when you grow up so tight knit in certain communities or families even, like you think that that is the whole world view. And stepping Mm -hmm. out of that is, it requires a lot of bravery and vulnerability. And that's where a lot of people get stuck because again, going back, like we are taught to cut ourselves off from that like sensitivity and vulnerability and that like leaning with your emotions. So it really is a process. But one thing I do wanna add is that I think that we are thankfully of a generation of people who are adamant in getting this message out like to everybody, mind you, we have different generations, but like, our generations are generations that are adamant about like clearing out the weeds uh, that were yeah. sent by the generations before us. And I think like doomism is a huge part of what happens online, but like I like to stay on the side of like there is hope because a lot of us are like aware. Anastasia, look at how young you are and like how, like, come on, that's not average. Yes. Like the kids are all right, I have hope. Yes. So you mentioned previously how a lot of self-care messaging can be used specifically just to advocate for commercialization and not for people doing uncomfortable things to care for themselves. 
So I know we've had conversations about the commercialization of healthcare, but can you talk about the fact that now combined with like an influencer economy, everybody knows about mental health, everybody's a coach, like. Goodness gracious. Um, and just like so unethical, sorry. Cause you know what, an, an example came up this morning. You saw the, the conversation where the girl was like, oh, 99% of like uh, DL men are narcissists or, yes. or narcissists or DL men. There is this mental health coach and advocate quotes make sure you add some quotes to that <laughs> because she like reacted to that original video and was like oh my god yeah like narcissists do x y and z and it's just like this is how i why i say these coaches and advocates really need to be like they need to be wiped off the internet and it's mainly because like i say there is no ethical guidelines that they have to follow. There are no standards, no principles. There is no governing body over them. And I know like we could talk about the institutions and how fucked up some of the parts of the institution are, but to have like mental health, like just completely unregulated is very dangerous because it is at the end of the day, something that concerns people's health. Um, and these people often like perpetuate very dangerous ideas that they contrive off of like things that they just searched on the internet. I think like there's a reason why being licensed requires thousands of hours of work under like people who are already licensed. It's because like you have to know what you're doing because this is a very serious thing. Like to get on a platform as someone who is a mental health advocate and to associate homosexuality with a mental disorder is absolutely unhinged and that is how you know that someone is like not under any governing body so that example that happened even this morning just, just vibes. no no school no education no no studies no nothing no supervision just vibes um and that example was literally just this morning um and mind you the the lady was called out several times and was like didn't delete it she's like well if i delete the video that's gone viral you'll be mad too so it's just like let me just speaking leave of, a harmful video speaking of virality i think there is with people specifically on twitter you can tell when someone types something and they want it to be a hit tweet mm. and i think that a lot of people kind of present themselves as having some form of knowledge and expertise when it comes to mental health and mental illness um, and tweet certain things. So do you think that there is social capital in presenting yourself as an expert in mental health, like someone who can help someone heal things? Because I always see those fucking forgive your parents, stop having a victim mentality. Oh, you know, <laughs> like, can we, can we? Yes, it really pisses me off. And you know why those people are more likely to be, those people are more likely to be Success, successful, more successful than an actual clinician online is because those people often perpetuate the idea of toxic positivity. Um, and if it's not toxic positivity, like forcing people to be positive, at, forcing people to be positive um, at every single, at every single avenue when it comes to their mental health, 
it's people shaming like because you know that toxic shame that a lot of people carry around like they either touch on that like having people to blame themselves or to shame themselves or having people like ignore like the negative which uh either way like on two opposite extremes of that emotional spectrum it's going to trigger people to react or respond um and i think like sorry hold on um it like it triggers an emotional response from people um and i think like they often lack balance, nuance, and like the actual information necessary to do something like that. Like True. there is a couple people, <laughs> they don't have the range. I'll just leave it at that. They just don't have yes. the range. And a lot of your tweets, some of them do go viral. And then interestingly enough, hear them or see them on other platforms that you didn't put them on. So, do you think because there are so many people who don't have the range, they don't have the nuance that instead of researching, going to school, getting their ass up and working or whatever, they would steal your stuff? And why do you think that happens so many times to you? Like your sensitivity tweet, heard it on multiple people's bar for bar. I mean, it has happened to me so many times, but I will say like, it is not something that just happens to me as a clinician. I've seen it happen to other clinicians. And it's because like a lot of these, I'm gonna call them like mental health farms because all they do is uh, scourge around the internet looking for tweets that they can post to like generate some form of emotion in the people who follow. Um, they use other people's content, other people's thoughts. Um, and it's usually a compilation of, of those things so they can sell products no shade but uh we the we the urban is a great example of that like that they posted one of my tweets and then tagged the wrong account um like got hella like hella uh hella views and clicks of whatever um just to turn around so they can sell sell products um and the thing is they never want to work with actual clinicians because that would recruit like that would mean that they would be actually focused and centered on like mental health and wellness like, and not just uh, selling products. Oh no, got 10 minutes, but. We can just make another one. I hate when they do this. Point being, these these uh, these accounts, the, the really large ones, nine times out of 10, they're just like, they, they scrounge around on the internet trying to get an emotional response from people, trying to seem deep. They're likely not. Um, just so they can sell a product. And when it comes to the other influencers who take from uh, Black clinicians and stuff, that's, you already know what that's about. Like, they will always take from us because they, they don't have original bones in their bodies. No shade. When I talked about the four F trauma responses, when I tell you I've seen at least 20 other, like, white therapists alone, like, talking about it right after I did, it's because, you know, it okay, is. So when the time runs out, I already put it in the chat. Just hit that link and I'll take you to another meeting. But um, when it comes to social media, there is this extreme tendency to dogpile. Mm -hmm. And let me go out and define dogpiling. Essentially, someone can do something wrong or they can not do something wrong. And then a group of people will 
dunk on them, send hate to them. And it just becomes this thing where every single thing just reinforces hate against this one person. I feel like it happens weekly, even daily on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So why do you think that that happens? Because I know people are trying to dogpile you just a few weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, it is something that happens pretty frequently. I feel like that, in order to answer that, we have to really ask, like, what do people want individually? Some of us genuinely want to move the cultural needle forward. Some of us genuinely want people to be accountable when they do things that are uh, wrong. Some of us just want to feel like some of us just want an outlet to like voice our rage. Um, Some of us like really uh, want virality. Like some people really just genuinely want a viral moment. Um, And I think like everybody or a lot of people have different reasons why they dogpile or go at a specific person. Um, It's just about like at the end of the day, what do you stand for for me? Um, Like when that was attempted on me, like it was mostly because people were trying to deflect away from a truth that I had stated that they didn't understand. Like they didn't want that truth to be a reality. So in order to try to invalidate what I was saying, they tried to dogpile and uh, basically make me fold, which I will not, period. Um, But um, Child, they were trying to, the fact that it's like you could, when someone's getting dogpiled, it's really interesting that even when people were misgendering you and mm. when I tweeted or just like let's not misgender them then the first response was well are you trans and a lesbian I was like no what are you even talking about that's, excuse that's me thing. like where are we going with this and then this person like literally telling me it just escalated to the point they were just like bitch go die and I was just like all this because I said not to misgender yep that's uh, a thing like I think like again like people weaponize identity all of this cultural stuff that we have like done a lot of work around like getting these dialogues and these discussions going like a lot of people will take this language and stuff and the the attempts that so many of us have made to make these very taboo back in the day conversations very normalized in public now they weaponize them to try and, again, like, if they disagree with somebody or dislike somebody, they're going to try and weaponize that against them. It's just, it is what it is. Um, uh, And unfortunately, that is a part of, like, a lot of this work that we have around trying to, like, push the cultural needle forward. It's tough work, but it's work nevertheless. Um, I personally... I had to learn over the years, like not to take it so personally, because I know a lot of a lot of it has very little to do. I mean, very little, like almost nothing to do with me at all. Um, But um, it is what it is. And I know like um, I one of my favorite questions that often does not get a, a very good response because some people feel hit. But like why if you are someone who is interested in community, why is it your first uh, reaction to throw people away when they make a mistake or when they do something mm. that you don't like? Or like, why, why, is your, why are you campaigning to have somebody disappeared if you really want community? Like, especially if it's someone who hasn't done anything violent or uh, emotionally harmful, like to a person, like to, the, like to an extreme extent. 
Um, one thing about online is they are going to warp things and they are going to they're going to make a mountain out of a molehill, like how cheating on someone that you weren't even in a relationship with can become sexual assault. Like, I mean, like, it's, what happened? it's really a thing. Like you, you just got to learn how to navigate. The interesting to... thing about that is even that has to do with other people and the need for virality, because even the conflation between that and SA happened because of another creator who won't even involve wanting to jump in and call someone a sexual offender and now you just skewed the whole conversation because you wanted a little bit of clout because you want to do this little viral fucking video to the point where it's just like you don't fucked it up and we're two months later tiktok still feeling the impact of this that might have been the death of tiktok i hope so because <laughs> it's damn show. Right. <laughs> Another thing that you mentioned that was really great about how people say that they want community so bad, but they engage in actions that make someone very disposable after they make a mistake. And I know very recently, myself and some other creators were featured in an article by The Daily Dot discussing call-out culture and how those things can replicate these really fucked up systems and engage in disposability. And we've had this conversation on TikTok, even though I think what happened is there were main call-out channels and they just got replaced by secondary call-out channels. So nothing really ever changed. But um, what do you, why do you think people view it as this like need to be perfect need, or else you need to leave? I think it, it ties a lot into uh, individuals. It's like a inside out type of situation for me um, in my opinion I think like people have this need to feel morally uh like a lot of people want to be good people like um which is like a false concept if you ask me I feel like people who are incapable of looking at their own flaws or like coming to terms with their own flaws typically project onto other people this uh like this need for them to be perfect or like they even like hold themselves to an extreme standard and have a hard time like again toxic shame like carrying around toxic shame around their own individual flaws and ability to make mistakes or to fuck up um and it is also just a reflection of the systems that we already uh exist within like how people are pressured to be like to have this public image that is like perfect because it is what it is, you know? I think like at the end of it all, uh, the reason why people try so hard to cling on to perfection and to put that onto other people is because they think like that is the, they're, they're, <laughs> you know what, perfect example, they're curtailing a public image, they're branding. Um, and that is a result of the systems, like again, that we, we exist within. I have been accused of rebranding to being becoming a, a, uh, a, therapist. a therapist. Like as if that doesn't require like thousands of hours of time and education and stuff like that. But like, never mind that. But like I've had like literal literal people like believe and look at people in themselves as brands, commodities, um, things that need to be bought and sold. And like that perfection, that uh, crust for per perfection is a literal part of that, if you ask me.
yeah like, I mean, everybody's brand i think seeing people who claim to care about things with social justice activism using basically using that to brand themselves and then because they present themselves as being the ones to always hold people accountable and they engage in a way that is let's dox this person get them fired for their job and dispose of them in society none of those people genuinely change and then you've created a dynamic where you put yourself on a pedestal so if you fuck up where do you think it'll happen to you and that's the thing is do these because i've had people message me where they were just like you know what a couple of months ago you made this video about me and i realized that i was wrong and like apologize to me in the dms or they'll be like can you take this video down about me and i'm like yeah sometimes it just be like i don't even know one guy messaged me i was like i don't even know who the fuck this is who are you like i'm not <laughs> even like when it comes to other people and you see them and it's just like y'all surveilling people y'all got discords about them one person over is selling information about another person on their patreon and framing a woman as lying about being stalked where that's like first off let's let's look at the dynamics between you and this woman because i understand yes she's white and you're a man of color but making her seem like she's hysteric and has no reason to be afraid when her ass was getting stalked and actively making videos sending harassment towards her that make it seem like she is delusional and that she is stalking herself you don't think that's a little misogynistic oh that's another word i should have brought up intersectionality because nobody knows what the fuck that means yeah it's a legal theory and a lot of people for some reason like i mean i just accepted what people have re like renamed it or re re remade it to be um but it's just a legal theory that specifically talks about like the intersection of being black and being a woman from her uh you know Kimberly Crenshaw's uh, POV um and how that impacts people like legally and like in like <laughs> like it's legal theory but people have to well I, it's still feminist theory but like it's a great concept like looking at like the way identities intersect and specifically the way institutions view people through those intersecting identities or through the lens of multiple identities um but i feel like i have seen that also get bastardized so much like there's this uh like i had made a video one time uh talking about my favorite types of a joke like my favorite types of white women um with bimbos being like like number one and like this one uh white woman was just like how could you say this this is like so not intersectional thinking like and i'm just like what the fuck are you talking about like you, hey, you only have one about? marginalized identity where's the intersection here like right and i'm like i can talk about like which type of white women make me feel comfortable as someone who is often on the receiving end of violence from white women so you should be quiet like you don't know what you're talking about if that is your limited scope of it and i think what people need to pivot towards is the matrix of domination which is like i think what they think that intersectionality is and the matrix of domination domination is this uh sociology construct of like society being structured in a way where people are placed in in this a matrix as opposed to like just uh what a lot of people view as like spectrums and lines like it is 
like as a disabled queer lesbian woman, you would be here and back here. And as a, you know, non-binary black able-bodied person, like I would be like up here, like, you know, it's like, it's different. But these yeah. are things that require like the actual Reading. desire, to, <laughs> the actual desire to learn and to read and to pick yeah. up books. And mm-hmm. a lot of people don't be doing that these days. So on white women, we've seen this trend where people love to put white in front of woman and then proceed to make a generalized misogynistic statement. Why do you think people feel comfortable? Like, I know you said that people can hide behind their own identities and, you know, shield with that way. And do you think people can shield using other people's identities? Yeah, so um, I think like that is... A lot of people think they're punching up, but like the reality is they're like, like they are really genuinely like hiding their, uh, their general (laughs) disregard or uh, bigotry for an entire group of people. Um, And I see that so often, like, oh, you think just because it's a white woman, you can call her a bitch, like. Or you can make fun of like shit that's not funny. Like, yeah, just, just don't even make sense like even if you're punching to the most privileged person in the community you're not doing it because of them being white and a woman you're doing something that is general to all women okay so on the last um thing I want to talk about is diagnosis criteria and so kind of um when we look at certain diagnoses I was reading and I was noticing like specifically in something like BPD, how some of the criteria is a lot of it's based off of your own whoever or whoever's diagnosis like, um, what's it called? Perspective. Perspective. But some of the words they use don't get applied to everyone, like specifically on the word promiscuous. I've never heard that be applied to a man. Or probably irrational. never will. <laughs> like that's where it's like, do you think that when people talk about BPD, and I've seen so many, you know, TikToks, which at some point I need y'all to go read a book sometimes, where people are saying that it's like, you know, BPD isn't real, it's just fake thing for saying that women are hysteric, where it's like, no, it's real. But do you think that there is applied misogyny that can lead to the fact that the majority of people who are diagnosed with BPD are women? A thousand percent, yes. I think the DSM has a long history of homophobia, racism, sexism, misogyny, um, hell, you name it. Like uh, the the DSM, which is the diagnostic diagnostic uh, you know manual that therapists use. We're now on the DSM five, but like literally, like all horrible. Um, I and they're changing it. Yeah, they they they're have updated. It. Like, I don't even like some of the new updates that they've made. I was reading because a lot of the people I follow, um, some of them are autistic and some of them are autistic women. And so they were talking about how that in the light of so many women being diagnosed late with autism, because I guess everybody thinks when they think of autism is this little white boy. But then when we realize that this also happens to girls that this also happens to black people and everybody else, that in seeing this rise and uptick of women 
who are adults being diagnosed with autism, they decided to shift the criteria by instead of thinking, oh, maybe our criteria was based too solely on men and that there may be differences in the way that men and women and people who are non-binary act when they are autistic, we need to, you know, you need to have more traits to be autistic now. So they want to limit because they think that was too much. Like just that, at, when you start looking at things like that, it's like, is there nobody in the room to ever consider? It's like, well, maybe these women are autistic and we miss something. Why okay. is it always, oh no, y'all are diagnosing too loosely? You gotta look at who's in the room. That's really the, that's really it in a nutshell. Because the same people are in the room every time. That says a lot. Yeah. And then two more things. Do you think that there is a weaponization of mental health language, whatever that means? Absolutely. By people. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say by men, because I know people were talking about that in their relationships. But do you think just in general? In general, specifically with men or anyone who seeks to. But that's the danger of like uh, working with um abusers sometimes like people who are noted as being abusers like sometimes people use this language as a as a weapon like I mean we've been basically talking about it this entire time like using like oh you're a what's a good example mutual abuse mutual I've been hearing abuse. that because now people said Gabby Petito was an abuser I was like can we can we have some sense because this woman got murdered by her boyfriend mutual abuse is a great one like when people re like reactive abuse which is what it is like oh i hate that mutual okay who, who came up with that that's not a real thing um, but but um reactive abuse when someone is abusing you and you like react you know like in a way that, that's like defending yourself people like know there's a, like that's that's what abusers do though like they like switch the, they flip the switch and they use they weaponize things like this i've been called um a narcissist before for withdrawing myself from someone who was attempting to control me and it was like mm. you're a narcissist because you're not giving me what I want like I mean people you'd be surprised what people can do uh like using like this language like and it's I think it's like a part of like one of the downsides of it being such a like it's a science based on like social like it's a social science therapy, like mental health is all social, like it's based off of like social stuff, like people and people can be so fickle and can change so easily. But like some people like take these things and they stretch it so far that they can turn it around and use it to harm the very people who are trying to like use the same language to get away from abuse or harm. It's really sad. Um, but yes, people weaponize it all the time. And then um, lastly, we've talked so much about generational trauma. We've talked about these shitty tweets that people have. And we talked about how oppression, you know, can create trauma with marginalized people. And do you think that because there, for so many marginalized people, like we're both black and just things of slavery and Jim Crow and colonization and imperialism, this has created, you know, resilience. Like we never just magically vanished. We persisted through all of this but do you think that sometimes people use 
the resilience as a way to combat the idea of you know mental illness or needing to take care of their mental health you know mm -hmm. what i mean like using the idea of resiliency to uh like the association with mental illness and weakness mm -hmm. and then when you have a community that's so resilient do you think that that may be why there is such an aversion of ever being diagnosed or getting therapy or anything like that and we also talked about dehumanization with rejecting emotions and stuff like that so yeah i think it's that's all like tied to the same thing which is again even back to why these mental health coaches and stuff are so popular it's because the idea of toxic positivity you have to keep going no matter what you you don't have, don't focus on the negative like that like all of it is like the same the same shit it's like avoiding ducking and dodging weaponizing like at the end of the day it is all just people it's mostly just people who are afraid to get in, con in touch with themselves because that vulnerability will require work that a lot of us are not equipped to to do because we are not taught that readily in this society and that will also help us co to connect to other people around us um the work is hard it's not easy and, and a lot of people don't like hearing that which is why a lot of people shy away from it um this idea that we have to tough it out no matter what well forgive your parents no matter what grow up and forgive your parents because i hear this a lot of the times where people are like well your parents did their best and i'm like sometimes they didn't yeah sometimes they actually they did not they could have did a lot more actually yeah and I think it's, <laughs> it, it sucks because a lot of people do love their parents and a lot of people are empathetic to them and understand them. And sometimes you may be in the same situation with them, but a lot of people feel like forgiveness is that everyone is entitled to forgiveness rather than it being earned and that you have to forgive to move on and that being able to forgive people is oftentimes tied with maturity. You're immature if you don't want to forgive someone. You can't move on. You're stuck in the past. And it's just like, no, sometimes parents don't do their best. And sometimes it doesn't mean you can't still love them. This is the thing. People have these weird, like, if you do someone wrong, you can't love them ever. But it's just like, you can love your parents while acknowledging and that they didn't do their best and maybe not forgiving them for that yeah. like i don't if i hear if i see one more forgive your parent tweet it's just like y'all just saying this because i feel like some of y'all know y'all may have like fucked over your kids and you want them to forgive you i think like that's again like that toxic positivity like people a lot of people genuinely think that that's the way to go like seriously a lot of people are like wow like i have to forgive people like it's also a part of like uh like our entire society if you think about it like um like slavery like christianity how like that is like something really pushed is like to forgive to turn the other cheek and that is to prevent people from revolutionizing like these these things are uh i think like these cultural practices of forgiveness are often like entrenched in the idea of like preventing people from going against the institutions that are in place the same thing with civility and niceness and how like you have oh, to do these things like every day like you have to it keeps protest only in one way exactly but 
the irony is every time people say this, they will bring up MLK. If you Google newspapers and comics, like political cartoons from that time, they thought MLK was about to burn the city down and blame him for it. And it was all his fault. And he was reckless and gonna fuck everything up. Like, y'all, this idea that MLK was so civil and non-dangerous, but it's like, if he was non-dangerous, he would have never been assassinated. If we really think about it. If we really think about it. And no I mean, one ever got freedom by asking. And it's ironic that when we look at this country, yes, built on slavery, indigenous genocide, but even when the you know first Americans, people in the United States, were fighting away from the UK, they literally would feather people, throwing tar on people, killing people over taxes. Yeah. Like, can I mean, we? <laughs> even with MLK though, if, even if you want to look at why he was really assassinated, when he started to like get into like being anti-Vietnam War, like they got him right the fuck up out of here. It's like when you go, <laughs> yeah. when you go against these institutions and shit, like they really like when you really stand against something, like you become a threat to the powers that be. And, I then, think that's, and uh, then they compare you to the same thing, like seeing people validate them being centrist by saying well you know the left is the same as the alt-right or seeing people say oh my god protesting at supreme court justice kavanaugh's right in front of his private res residence because he voted to overturn roe v wade is the exact same thing as january 6. let's be serious here you I have mean, to be civilized or you're going to sink to their level they've never had accountability they're going to warp they're going to warp and twist some stuff in their favor but hey okay. but okay that's the end thank you so nice i actually love like this interview style like you're, you're really good at this um thank you i was worried because last night i was like okay let me write a list of things let me think because i hear all these words when it comes to social media and mental health let me give like a couple words and let's just set the shit straight because you're doing amazing and thank please, you please, please keep doing all of the things yes okay let me